0: This past week, I had the privilege of attending the, the final junior high girls basketball game. And it was, fittingly, it was, it was Beulah versus Hazen. It was a, it was a really good game. Um, throughout most of the game, the, the Beulah girls, they led by 10 points. They, and they maintained that lead throughout most of the game. But in the fourth quarter, things began to falter a little bit. They had been making amazing plays, teamwork, making great shots, making great drives to the basket. But in the fourth quarter, Hazen began to gain some ground. And it was slow at first, uh, two points here, two points there. and, And as Beulah's lead began to dwindle, you could tell that they were obviously shaken. They began to try to force the big plays that they had once been doing. They began to flounder on defense, falling for obvious fakes, began shooting wild shots, just hoping they'd go in, making charges towards the basket and fouling the other team and and giving up the ball in the process. Nothing seemed to be working and they were constantly losing the ball and their lead got smaller and smaller and smaller. Being the awesomely embarrassing dad that I am I began to holler from the bleachers being a great bleacher coach telling them slow down slow down and I mean they didn't listen to me I and mean, who am I I'm just some voice in the crowd you know they 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 were doing what they thought needed to be done to regain that lead that they once had but after a little while, the, the coach called a timeout. I can imagine he probably heard my coaching and, and uh, felt that the girls needed to know that information. Either that or he's just a really good coach and knows what he's doing. But uh, he, he spoke with the girls and, and sent them back out on the court. And after that, they were much more controlled. They began to take their time and, and pick their shots. And they were able to maintain the lead that they had not only that they were able to retake the points that they had lost and they were able to solidify a win it seems counterintuitive because throughout the game what had been making the points was these big plays these these fast breaks these amazing shots and it seemed that's what you needed to do force more of those in order to gain the points in order to take the lead with that mindset, slowing down seemed completely wrong. It seemed counterintuitive, but time and time again it has been proven right in the movie cars. Doc Hudson tells lightning McQueen, if you're going hard enough left, you'll find yourself turning right in business. They say, if you want to grow big, think small. These are counterintuitive truths. think big to, or think small to grow big, turn right to go left, slow down to speed up. They seem so wrong, but in reality they're true. Oftentimes the most profound truths are counterintuitive. And this is the reality in life. and this is something that Paul is trying to point out to the church in Corinth as he's writing his letter to them. We began reading his letter a few weeks ago and he is, he's called this church, this church that has its problems, he's called them to unity. He called out the different factions and said, you guys need to work together. He pointed out their division. But then in verse 18, he begins to, to focus on the thoughts and the desires of mankind that end up being problematic in our lives. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Now this is verses such as this are are ones that I tend to struggle with. Because on just a, a surface level reading, it seems to suggest that the whole notion of the cross is just crazy, that it's, it's foolish, that you need to check your brain at the door, stop thinking, and just believe. Ironically, that's the position that a lot of great theologians take and that they suggest. You know, these, these guys who have earned doctorates in theology telling everyone to stop thinking is kind of ironic. And they criticize any who would dig into the the scriptural source to to better understand it in that way. But as we look at at all of God's commands, as we look at the context of of all of Scripture, we see that that God has encouraged us to think, that God has encouraged us to to use our minds. And as we look at it from that angle and, and study what Paul is saying from that perspective, we get a better understanding of what Paul is trying to say. With this passage in particular, there is a, a repeated theme, a word that keeps coming up over and over again, and that theme is wisdom. Within just these few verses that we read, Paul used the word wisdom four times. And with the, the whole passage that we're looking at this morning, there's a total of seven times, and that's not even including other forms of the word, such as wise. Obviously, Paul is trying to get across this idea of wisdom. Wisdom, it's not something that we tend to talk a whole lot about today. We we more talk about about knowledge than we do wisdom. The Greeks were consumed by wisdom. They loved wisdom. They were the, the great thinkers of the time. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, Paul commends the, the people in Athens for their, their seeking of truth and their, their desire for wisdom. The Greeks, their, their thinkers, Plato and Aristotle, they are still the great thinkers that we refer to today. This philosophy of the Greeks, it still guides our, our modern thinking and our modern education. We, we like philosophy and interestingly enough, Philosophy comes from the Greek word philosophia, which means love of wisdom. So while we don't talk about wisdom a whole lot, we still love wisdom. This love of wisdom dominates our society. Philosophy, critical thinking, these are still very important things within our society and within the church. For the record, I am not telling you to check your brain at the door. I want you to think. I want you to to contemplate and to think critically. God has given us minds to do just that, to think and to reason, and he intends for us to use them. The issue is we, we let ourselves be fooled into thinking that with all of our great knowledge and all of our great wisdom that we figured it all out, that we understand, that we know everything. And the issue with this Church that that Paul was trying to address is an issue that we still face sometimes too. And that is that the church, they wanted God. They wanted the salvation that he brought. They, They liked all of that stuff, but they wanted to add to it all of their earthly wisdom. They wanted to twist God to fit into their preconceived ideas. But these human ideas and this human wisdom it's lacking. I mean, we see that every couple decades or so, everybody reworks what they think and they tweak it and they try something new. They might go back to something old and we just keep recycling the same human wisdom over and over again. And it's never enough, it's never right, but we keep trying. And so Paul addresses this idea of of human wisdom and he comes at it from two different angles. Starting back in verse 22, it says, For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We read throughout the Gospels, the the many encounters that Jesus had with the religious leaders. And they ask him, show us a sign. Provide to us a a sign from God, a, a miraculous wonder to prove to us that you are who you say. And Jesus refuses. He does not give them that sign. Really, what they're asking for is they want a demonstration of power. In movies, you often see this. The scene, the Terminator comes to mind where the villain goes into a group and starts making demands. And everybody laughs and scoffs and like, yeah, right, I'm not giving you a thing until he exerts his power. He shows them, if you don't give it to me, I will take it. He shows them how powerful he is and then... They'll give him anything. They will follow him. They will do whatever because we desire power. We want power. We we aren't just going to give up whatever power that we have. We're not going to give up our rights. We're not going to give up our possessions just because someone asks us. In fact, we will only give those things up if one, somebody takes it, or two, they show that they have the power to take it whether we want them to or not. The Greeks, on the other hand, they weren't all about brute force and power. They valued knowledge. They valued wisdom. They would look at the Terminator and say, yeah, you're tough, but you're a brutish ape, and I'm smart enough to keep my stuff from you. Your strength is no match for my intellect and my knowledge. The the Greeks weren't so much the Terminator as they were Ocean's Eleven, where I'm still going to take your stuff, I'm still going to exert my power, but I'm going to do it in a roundabout way without lifting a finger because I'm that much smarter than you. And this shows the the group's respective values, power and wisdom. Yet the cross, it didn't measure up in either of those. The Jews who understood power, who, who had all the stories of, of God's miraculous signs, the cross became a stumbling block. Because this idea that this pacifist who died a criminal's death, that's not a display of power. God was supposed to come and to crush his enemies. God was supposed to destroy the powerful, not come and be crushed and, and be destroyed himself. It was counterintuitive. The Greeks, they understood the world. They understood life. They they contemplated the origins of mankind and and where we come from and and the power of the gods of which they had many. To them, the cross seemed foolish because what God would do that? I mean, this plan was too simple. What what self-respecting deity would give up all of that stuff and and subject himself in this way to not overthrow the government or, or take control, but to sacrifice himself. This idea that a weak and powerless man, a man without status, a man without authority, is God in the flesh whose plan was to die, it's an insulting idea. It was counterintuitive to everything that, that mankind conceived about God. But that's precisely what God did. This, this counterintuitive foolishness is what God was pleased to do. Because as Paul says, God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. See, God's plan, God's wisdom, it it all seemed like foolishness when compared to the values of this world. The values of strength and the values of knowledge and wisdom, it seemed crazy. As we look at all the accomplishments that mankind has achieved, We've achieved some great things. Advances in medicine and and technologies, advances in understanding of this natural world. And if we look at all the things that that mankind has achieved throughout the centuries, we may start to think, well, just given enough time, we're going to figure it all out. We will solve everything. But the truth is, without a grounding outside of ourselves, All of that knowledge, all of that power is useless. Theologian John MacArthur said, without exception, man's wisdom elevates himself and lowers God. And this is precisely what we see in our society as we look to the the upper echelons of academia. We see people, society that's, that's seeking to move beyond the shackles of morality that God has forced upon us and, and their desire to, to pave their own path, to, to seek their own way and their own wisdom. We see this through naturalism that denies the existence of God and, and His hand in creation, therefore nullifying anything that God says. We see this in religious pluralism. That says all the views are right. You have your truth, I have my truth, and everybody's right. All ways lead to God. It, It elevates my thoughts and my desires and what I want above or equal to God's ways. But to the perishing, to those who rely on the world's power and the world's wisdom, this cross. Is foolishness it seems crazy to think that God would do it this way it's counterintuitive but that's not how you win you don't win by forcing the big plays you don't win through power you don't win through through doing things the way that the world tells you to going to the cross seeking after God's wisdom in the world in the eyes of the world that's that's the opposite way than the way to victory the world tells us that if you want to win then you have to be stronger If you want to win, then you have to be smarter. If you want to win, then you have to protect everything that you have with all of your wisdom, and with all of your power, so that nobody can take it from you. But Jesus, Jesus tells us that the true path to victory is through being humble and having faith. Jesus tells us, don't hold on to the things of this world, but instead, give them away. Place your trust, not in the things of this world, not in the wisdom and the power of this world, but place your hope and your trust in the one who has overcome this world. It's counterintuitive. It seems completely wrong by all standards that this world gives us. And unfortunately, the reality is that most people won't get it. They will cling to this world's game plan. They will seek after the power and the the strength that this world offers, trying to make those big plays, trying to force it, trying to exert their power, trying to win the game as they think it should be won. Flailing about, throwing wild shots, hoping that they work. And in the end losing the game, all the while seeing God's wisdom, seeing God's true path to victory as nothing but foolishness. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved to those who are willing to think differently, those who are willing to to set aside this world's values and and the, the path to victory that this world has set out, true power and true wisdom, they're counterintuitive. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Don't place your trust in this world. This world is on a losing path. It may seem counterintuitive, but as with many great truths, the way to victory is to slow down. The way to victory is to work counter to what the world says and to place our hope, to place our trust in the foolish wisdom of the one who has overcome this world let us pray Heavenly Father may you open our hearts and open our eyes to see the folly of of this world God help us to not check our brains at the door not not forget to think but God may we seek after you and true wisdom true knowledge in you and and the victory that brings it may seem counterintuitive it may seem wrong but God you have shown time and time again throughout history that victories the victory comes through self-sacrifice the victory comes through putting others first that victory comes God through following you in your ways may we follow you may we give up the wisdom of this world And God, seek after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, may we share in the victory that you have already won. Go with us this week. Help us to stay true to you, to stay focused on your game plan. We pray this in the holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.